Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you in all humility. We recognize that this day begins the journey of Jesus Christ down to the depths of the tomb. We pray that we will spend this week knowing and understanding what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that you will bless me that the words I speak may be your words. And I pray for these children of yours, our brothers and sisters, that their ears may be open and their hearts receptive. Amen. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, and from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See, is, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My name is Casper John Michael Geisterfer. It's a long name. I have John Michael because since the 1820s, the firstborn son of every Geistifer is John Michael. 
And there's a lot of history in that name from being farmers to making wine to being doctors, geologists, ministers. Now, Geistifer is also an interesting name. If you know your German philosophy, Hegel came up with his way of explaining the world. And for Hegel, there was the prime mover, and it was the Geist, or as we would say, spirit. So I am Casper of the Spirit, or for those of you who would like Casper the Friendly Ghost, that works also. So we got John Michael Geistifer. Now we got Casper. It's a name I hated growing up. Um, whenever I'd walk home from school, the kids behind me would sing Casper the Friendly Ghost, and it really made me cry. And I didn't like it. In 1984, Leanne and I came back, and we were in Chicago at a gas station, and there was a big banner over the gas pumps, and it said, Casper is here. So I asked for a discount. <laughs> that was nice. I was born at uh, Royal Alexander in Edmonton a few years ago. And while my mother was pregnant with me, she had the opportunity to read some biographies of good Calvinist authors. And one was Gaspard de Coligny. He's a French Huguenot. And he led a group of Huguenot refugees from France to Holland so that they would be released from religious persecution. So that's one piece of my name. In French and Spanish, I'm called Gaspard. And in Dutch and German and English, it's Casper. Mom also read the Heidelberg Catechism. And if we're good and reformed, we'll know that, that one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism was Caspar Olivianus. And so my name is much more than being a friendly ghost. I carry all the desires of my mother. And here I am. Caspar John Michael Geistifer. That is my name. I have a sister, my older sister, and she calls me Rapsack. Now, we had a thing in our family. When we could go from Ladder to the Okanagan Valley, we would see what kind of games we could play, and Dad once said, why don't you all spell your names backwards? Rapsack, Casper backwards. My younger brother is Wordna. Rapsack. My younger sisters, I have a lot of sisters, called me Tap Tap. And they called me Tap Tap because I loved a Broomhilda comic strip, and in one of those, Broomhilda says, Tap Tap, a rowdy two-step across the terracotta of your consciousness. Now, all they could remember was Tap Tap, so I grew up being called Tap Tap. I have a lot of names. And perhaps the one I like the most, other than the one that's Casper, Geist, Casper John Michael, is Kashim. I was in Guatemala doing a workshop in the 90s, and one of the Mayakiche 
attendees. He enjoyed it so much, he says, I'm going to welcome you into our community and give you a Mayakichi name. And that's Kashim. Where did I get my name? A little bit of a history there. Now let's think about who owns me. I was knit together in the womb of my mother. I can't imagine what it would look like, but I was watching a film the other day at my brother's house, and it was about midwifery. And one of the nuns, who was older, she had the placenta in front of her and was looking at the placenta with joy and with a good smile on her face. And the younger nun says, what are you looking at? And she says, I'm looking at all these wonderful strands, all the lines that go through this placenta. And I just stand amazed at what God has put together in the womb of the woman who gave birth to this child. An amazing observation. Which brings us to the question, how does God make us? In the early church, one of the church fathers, Athanasius, was having a logical dialogue with a companion. And the companion said, Athanasius, how does God make the human person? And Athanasius says, God has four ways to make us. Number one is dust. And we know the story of Adam and God gathered together the dust and formed Adam and blew air into his nose and the first human being. Number two, God can take a bone out of my chest, lay it aside, and around this bone form another person. Number three, divine conception. And the Holy Spirit came to Mary and she became pregnant. Dust, bone, holy conception. What would be the fourth? This couple here is having a baby soon, right? How did that baby get there? <laughs> we all know. Human love. You have a baby that came out, but a husband and wife come together. And together, God creates another human life. If God is the maker, which we all confess, then who owns us? I'm retiring, and Leanne and I have walked together for a little bit over 40 years through Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Honduras, and that walk is now coming to the United States and Canada. In that walk, 
we found many beautiful pieces of art. And if you come to our house, and I pray that you'll come to Southwest Michigan, you'll see these pieces of art on our walls. And they have at the bottom corner a little signature. And it's the name of the artist. And we look at that signature and we say, he is the creator. He is the owner of it, even though we paid money. So who named it? Who owns me? To whom do I belong? God knit me together in my mother's womb. God knit that little human being in his mother's womb or her. God is busy knitting creating. My wife is learning how to knit, and it's fun to see her with the little needles, and every time she looks at it and says, it's coming along nicely. I'm still waiting for my sweater. No, I'm kidding. This is how God works. I can't explain that knitting that takes place. I'm sure there's not two knitting needles, and God's not following a pattern and stuff like that, but God is in that formation. And so I can come together and say, God owns me. Well, what does that mean? If I'm God's son or daughter, what shall I do? My father's a pastor, and I grew up in Parsonage. And it wasn't a fun place to be, and to be perfectly honest with you. It was a very hard place to be. And I would have lived anywhere else but the parsonage. I hated it. And there was no way that I would ever ever be like my father. But here I am. I'm not like my father because I'm Casper. But I went to college, I went to university, and I went to seminary. And I'm still in the Christian Reformed Church. And I married a beautiful Dutch-American woman. God says, who shall I send? I got a beautiful daughter here. Can I see her for a minute? Hi. How are you doing? Just look at her. Gorgeous, isn't she? Now, Quentin and his wife are going to have to raise this little girl. She baptized? And she was baptized here, so she's part of you. And when she was baptized, Quentin and, I'm sorry, his wife, 
Alice, made, I got her. <laughs> Don't I? Oh, you want to spit. Made a promise. And part of that promise was that this little girl would know Jesus. And you, I hope, made a promise that she would be part of this community and you would help to raise her so that she too would know Jesus. I'll give her back to her, her mother. And the reason God does this is God has work to do. There's a whole imperative. When Mary came to the tomb of Jesus, she met Jesus. And after she recognized him, Jesus said, go. And she went running. I wanted to run away. I was a Jonah. I never ran away from the church, but I certainly did not want to go to seminary. I did not want to be in the position I'm in today. I wanted to become a social worker. That worked for a few years. But this imperative of God is what pulled me away from that. I worked with Leanne in World Renew, and then I moved over to Resonate. What is the way that we can all respond to this imperative of going? Stephen Charleston is an Episcopal bishop, also a citizen of the Choctaw Nation. And he explains that in the Native American way of looking in the world, God is on a vision quest. And this quest is looking for the incarnation. God invites us to go to work with him to be co-workers. How does that happen? We got baptized. We're invited into the community. Listen to how God introduces his son. Jesus is with John the Baptist in the Jordan River and is baptized, and the heavens open up, and we hear, this is my son whom I love, and I am pleased with him. Now, when I was baptized in 3rd Edmonton, it was the same kind of thing. God is saying, this is my child whom I love. God invites us as his children to be in that vision quest. He created us. He named us. And as God who says, whom shall I send? We're looking for the incarnation. We're looking for transformation. 
We're looking to create not the world that we would like to see, but the world that God envisions. I told you a bit about my story, but I'd like to introduce you to Mario Luis Matos. Mario is a Haitian migrant worker's son. I met him in the south of the Dominican Republic in the 1990s. He was an eight-year-old boy, and I went to his parents' house because his father was a pastor, and his mother was involved in a women's income generation program that I was working with. And so I went to his house to visit him, or visit them, and he was there, and his parents weren't there. And I talked to Mario, and he had just returned from a year with, youth for, with a mission on their boat in Western Africa. And after talking to him, he said to me, I would like to find a way to continue in ministry to God. And I hired him and worked with him for several years. Today, Mario is a colleague of mine. He works with Resonate Global Mission in the Dominican Republic. Who shall I send? I remember when Jason was just beginning here. I don't remember everything. I only saw a little bit of him. But one day I came to have a visit with him, and he was sitting here with John Ohms and being mentored, right? Who shall I send? And there you have Jason. You got Peter back there. Who shall I send? He went away, came back, and he wanders still, right? Yeah. Who shall I send? We got one of our children. Got many of our children. Whom shall I send? We got a young couple here, married. <laughs> Who shall I send? It's not easy. Today we're in Palm Sunday. Jesus, who was sitting at the right hand of God, agreed to lower himself to the depths of the tomb. You've got to imagine this. I'll go to my young couple again. I have no idea, really, who you are. Are you married? I guess you're not a young couple. You got two young people here. They're uh, at a phase in their lives when there's lots of excitement. They're good at music. There's a whole wide world out there. And God says, who shall I send? The question is, will you be the kind of son and daughter 
that Jesus was. Jesus, who sat in heaven at the side of God, who humbled himself to his knees to the point where he was debased and on his forehead so that we could be the incarnation. Can you do that? I didn't think I could. I don't know if I do it well. But this is what who shall I send means. And it's not because there's nothing to do. We read in Matthew, I am the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Whom shall I send? God sends his children. Luke, are you ready? Let's read together the Heidelberg Catechism. Respond, please. What is your greatest comfort in life and death? For generations, our ancestors lived by this promise. I am not my own. I belong in my entirety to God and Jesus. God says, you are my children. Go. The world is waiting for you. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, thank you for creating us. Thank you for calling us by name. Thank you for giving us a job to do. Give us thou the courage to be faithful children to you. Amen.